you have your Bibles, again, turn to the book of Habakkuk, and we're going to be in chapter number three, uh, the last chapter in Habakkuk, which is really an, uh, an exciting and, and uh, very valuable lesson that we get here in, in chapter number three. So uh, pick up with me in chapter number three, and uh, if you remember where we're at right now, the uh, the Lord is, uh, Habakkuk asked the Lord, you know, uh, what are you going to do about the wicked nation of Israel? And the Lord said, I'm going to do something about it. Uh, you're not going to like what I'm going to do, but I'm going to judge the nation by the Chaldeans. And so uh, he, he, Habakkuk didn't like that answer. And uh, so uh, he goes to the Lord again and he prays to the Lord. And what the Lord tells him, look, you're going to have to accept whatever I tell you because you are one of my children, and the just shall live by faith. You're going to have to trust me and that what I'm doing is good. And, and as we come to chapter number three, uh, he's going to give some more clarification as, as to what he's doing, and he's going to do it in the form of a song. If you look at the very first verse, it says, A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet on key, uh, in a song. So uh, the last chapter here, some say the whole book is a song, but I, I don't think so, but, but definitely the last uh, uh, chapter, uh, verse, uh, chapter three, uh, is a song. Now, I don't think we'll be singing it on Sunday morning, but, but, and I'm not going to sing it to you tonight, but, but we'll go over it and, and, and it's, it's really rich what he, what he gives us right here. First of all, he says in verse number two, he says, Oh Lord, I've heard your speech. And when I heard what you were going to do about the wickedness in Israel, I was afraid. And then he says something, he says, but He's accepted the fact that the Lord's going to do it. Obviously, he's not going to change the Lord's mind. And then he says, oh, Lord, revive your work in the midst of your years, of the years. I mean, in the coming years, in my lifetime, in, in the years to come, revive your work. What's he speaking of when he speaks of his work? He's speaking of the nation of Israel. That was God's uh, vineyard that God had, had planted and he had watered and he had grown. And now he's going to tear it down. And so Habakkuk says, uh, revive your work in the midst of of the years in the midst of the years make it known it and then he says in wrath remember mercy so the lord's heard the prayer of habakkuk and habakkuk's afraid he's afraid for israel he's probably afraid for himself because the chaldeans were a brutal nation and 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 they were uh, marching through the uh, middle east at that time and and were on their way to jerusalem in, in just a few years and so uh, he's afraid. He's afraid for his people. He's afraid for himself. I think much more so for his people than for himself. And what a change of tune he has right here because he started out and he's, he's uh, asking God to judge the nation and he hears about the judgment and, and uh, he changes his tune. He says, oh, Lord, I mean, that's really severe. Uh, Lord, in the midst of your wrath, show mercy is basically what he says. And I think he knew the heart of God. That is the heart of God, isn't it? Always. It's his heart to show mercy. It's, God is love. And so everything God does is in love. Uh, when he judges the wicked, when he judges the wicked, that's him exercising his love. And so uh, Habakkuk prays for this revival, and the revival that he prays for is a national revival. He wants uh, Israel to be, again, one nation under God. I mean, I'm sure you've prayed recently for our nation, hopefully you have, that, that we again would be one nation. Not, we wouldn't just say those words, that we would truly be one nation under God. But 
at this point, Habakkuk has come uh, to the conclusion that God is going to judge the nation of Israel. He's going to severely dis discipline the nation of Israel. And so he asked the Lord in his wrath to remember his mercy. And he knew that God would do that. You know, I don't think any revival comes individually or nationally without some kind of discipline from God. God often revives a people in the midst of judgment, in the midst of discipline. God's wrath is his mercy. God works his mercy through his wrath. And, and so, uh, you know, sometimes, and I really almost all the time, it takes God's actions, his judgments, to turn people around, to get them to repent so they can be revived. I don't know about you, but that's certainly the story of my salvation. I mean, it took God's wrath. God, in his wrath, showed me mercy. God brought me down in, in, a, in a really hard way. He slammed me down really hard. And in the midst of that, he showed his mercy and he saved me. And that's what Habakkuk's praying for, that God, in his midst of his wrath, in the midst of those days, that he's going to show mercy to the nation of Israel and that he's going to revive the nation. And he was going to revive the nation. Seventy years later, he would revive the nation again and then they would go back to their wicked way. He would bring them down again. And, and uh, in 70 AD, they were destroyed, virtually destroyed and scattered throughout the, the earth. And, and uh, now we're waiting on them to be revived again. And when you see the nation, these dead bones have risen up and they have life in them again. And there's a nation again. And and uh, all they're waiting on now is for the great tribulation and God to pour out his spirit on that nation when Jesus returns and, and all of Israel will be saved. And, and God, that's, that's coming. That's coming. But it's going to take a very, very difficult situation to get them saved. I mean, I don't care how many evangelists, you know, uh, toot their horn and say they can go over there and get those Jews saved. You're not going to get them saved. Because in part, blindness has come. We, we see in Romans chapter, I think it's chapter 11, somewhere there in Romans, that blindness in part has come to the nation of Israel and, but until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. And that time is, is getting really close, and then they will be revived. But they were about to go through a terrible time of testing in the day of Habakkuk. And, and uh, so Habakkuk cries out for his people. And then we get this picture of God's judgment in verse number 3. It says, God came from Teman in, in Edom, the Holy One from Mount Paran in, in, in Sinai. And then he says, Selah. And then, again, this is a song. And so he, so he, there's a time of pause. There's a time of reflection. There's different translations as to what Selah means. I, I think more than likely it does mean a time of pondering what's been said, a time of reflection and so uh, he says God is coming out of Edom. He's coming out of Sinai. Uh, his glory covered the heavens. And this, this looks like maybe his second coming, but that's not what, we're, what he's talking about here. He says his glory covers the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. Now, he's not talking here about the peoples praising him. He's talking about his creation praising him. I mean, all you got to do, if you can get past all the concrete and the, the wires and the buildings and all of that kind of stuff, just go out and look at the creation of God and you can see how the creation praises God. Look at a little butterfly 
or a hummingbird and, and just think of how, you know, you think of God and what a, what a great creator we have that he would create such an animal as that. I mean, uh, you, when, in, in, when there's earthquakes, when there's hurricanes, when there's, when there's uh, disasters, God's in that too. And, and those things are really lift up praises to God. People don't want to hear that, but they do. And, and here we have God coming out of Edom and coming out of Sinai, and he's about to judge the earth. It reminds me a lot of what Isaiah uh, wrote in Isaiah 63. Let me just read it for you. He says, Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in his greatness uh, and his strength. I, I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads the winepress? Uh, and then the Lord speaks. I have trodden the winepress alone and from the peoples no, no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garden, garments and I have stained all my robes. And so here... You know, Isaiah gives this picture of the Lord in his glory judging the nations, the same picture that, that Habakkuk gets, get, gives. And I think there's a, an immediate fulfillment of this even in Isaiah's day and Habakkuk's day in the Babylonian captivity, but it's also fulfilled in the great tribulation. And, and no matter whether God's judging or whether God's, uh, we're living in a time of peace, the glory of God covers the heaven and the glory of God covers the earth always. Look at verse number four. His brightness is like the light. He has rays flashing from his hand. And there, is, there his power is hidden. Before, but, you know, you, you look at this and you see this is in the context of judgment because look at verse number five. Before him went pestilence and fever followed at his feet. I mean, uh, you hear people all the time when there's some kind of disaster, they ask that question, where was God in all of this? Or where was God all in, this, all, in all of this according to this passage? He was right in the midst of it. Uh, these, he went forward and as he goes forward, so does the pestilence and so does the, so does the fever and so do the disasters. And so when we see a disaster uh, most people are going to say, oh man, God, where was, you know, where was God when that happened? Well, you know, the answer to that is God, God might very well have been the one who caused that disaster. That's, and we're going to see he's the same God as he in the Old, in New Testament as he was in the Old Testament, as he is in the Old Testament. Look at verse number six. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations. And, and you know, this is a picture of that coming Babylonian judgment, but it's also a picture of the great tribulation. And the everlasting mountains were scattered, and the perpetual hills bowed. He, his ways are everlasting. That's what I was just saying earlier. The God of the New Testament is the same as the God of the Old Testament. God doesn't change his ways. Uh, he, he executes his mercy often through judgment, often through discipline. His ways are the same. I saw the tents of Cushan. In affliction, the curtains of the land of Midian, Midian trembled. O oh Lord, were you displeased with the rivers? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea? Uh, as, you, uh, you know, as, as God here is dealing with the wicked, that you rode on your horses. And, and so you get, all of the, you get this picture in these first few verses 
or the first eight verses about the judgment of God. And, and listen how he sums this up or how he describes this in this very last uh, phrase here in verse number eight. He says, your chariots of salvation. All of those terrible things that are described in those previous verses are God's chariots of salvation. I mean, the tragedy that he sends to this earth to deal with the wicked are his chariots of salvation. The tragedy he sometimes brings into our lives are his chariots of salvation. I mean, he's working his salvation. He's working his mercy uh, through his judgment, through his discipline. Your bow was made, verse number nine, your bow was made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows. And then he says, pause again, Selah. Think about what I just said. I mean, all of this, these terrible things that were about to come on upon Israel, uh, all of these judgments that were going to come upon Israel, all of these judgments that will come upon the world in the great tribulation, uh, they, they come from God. You divided the earth with the rivers, the mountains saw, and you trembled, and you saw you and trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by, the deep uttered its voice and lifted its, its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their habitation. This really looks like the great tribulation now he's moving into. At the light of your arrows they went. At the shining of your glittering spear, you marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. So we definitely have here a picture of God's judgment. I mean, this vivid description of very great judgments that will come upon Israel uh, in in the immediate sense with the judgments of Babylon and then in the long, in the long term, uh, it also refers to the great tribulation. Now, why would God be behind these terrible events that he describes here? Again, they, they're his chariots of salvation. Look at verse number 13. He says, you went forth for the salvation of your people. All that you did was for the salvation of your people, for revival, and for salvation with your anointed. Uh, that is the Hebrew word Meshach, which we translate Messiah. He, all that he did, he did for salvation uh, with his uh, Messiah. In other words, what he's doing here, he's bringing these people to a point where they can receive Christ, where they can see their need for salvation, where they can understand, where all of the foundations that, the, that they're relying on and that they're standing on are, are taken away or they're broken to the point where they're broken and they see their need for uh, Jesus for the, for God's anointed, and then he says he says you struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare uh, from the foundation to the neck, and then he says think about that. I mean, what do you, what do you have a picture here is of God cutting off the head of the snake, uh, and how does he do that by salvation through his anointed, and and. It's the same thing that Paul tells us over in the book of Colossians in chapter number 2, verse 15. He says, at the cross, uh, uh, Jesus disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing 
over them. And so salvation comes through God's anointed. But in order to finish the job, in order to get people to a point where they will receive Christ, he has to lay the foundations bare. He cuts the head off the snake at the cross, and then he lays the foundations bare. And that's what he does in the lives of individuals, and that's what he does in the life of nations. He lays the foundations bare. I mean, what are the foundations that, that the wicked have? What foundations did we have before we were saved? We had all sorts of idols that we trusted in for our peace and our safety and our joy. Humanism, you know, is, is, is a, a lot of people have their foundation in the government, uh, in materialism and secularism. And uh, so God has to lay those foundations bare. And sometimes that takes a very, very severe judgment in order to do that. In verse number 14, he says uh, how he uses the wicked's own arrows here in order to, to, to make the, bring the foundations uh, down. He says, you thrust through with his own arrows, the head of his villages. They came out like a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was like feasting on the poor in secret. You walk through the sea with your horses through the heap of great waters. When I heard my body trembled, my lips quivered at the, at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes to, his, to the people, he will invade them with his troops. So what Habakkuk's saying here in these few verses is terrible things are going to happen to Israel. Very terrible things, beyond their imagination. But God is still on the throne. His glory covers the earth. His, the creation still praises him. And in his wrath, he remembers his mercy. And his purposes are not to destroy, but to revive, to save through his Messiah, the, his anointed. And uh, uh, how do we live as believers, as children of God, when we see God judging the world, how do we live? How, how you, by faith. The just shall live by faith. So right on cue here, he sings a little hymn or gives us this little hymn of faith beginning in verse number 17. And listen to what he says. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive tree fail and the fields yield no fruit, Though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there, is, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy, find my joy in the God of my salvation. The just shall live by faith. No matter how bad things get, Habakkuk sings, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I'll find my joy in the Lord. And so he's come to a point. He's, you've, you've watched him grow through these three chapters. He was really mad at God because God was allowing all these wicked people to do all these wicked things in Israel, you know, like sometimes we do, and we want to see God judge the United States. We want to see God bring these wicked people down. But we've got to remember when those things start happening in the United States, they're going to happen to us too. And so he gets this vision of all these terrible things that are going to happen, and, and uh, he begs God, hey, God, hey, I don't want you to do it that way. And uh, then God says, I'm going to do it that way. And you're going to have to trust me. And these chariots that you see coming are my chariots 
they look like chariots of war. They look like chariots of destruction, but they're really chariots of salvation. And you've got to trust me in that, that these terrible things that are going to happen to the nation of Israel are really good things. And sure, some of the wicked are going to be destroyed, and they deserve to be destroyed. But some of the wicked or some of the people who really are doing wicked things that need to be straightened out are going to be revived. And that's what a revival is. They're going to be revived. They're going to be changed. They're going to come back to me, the Lord says. And in the meantime, you, no matter how bad these things get, though the fig tree may not blossom, though the fruit, t- fruit be on the vines, nor though the labor of the olive may fail and the, field yield, the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there is no herd in the stalls, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will find my joy in the God of my salvation. And when we, can, when we take an attitude like that, when we see God doing his work in the midst of the nations, when we see his chariots of salvation on the move and, and, and on the surface or their outward appearance is something terrible, it's, it's a picture of judgment. But when we see that happening and we trust the Lord and we truly trust the Lord, and sometimes we got to suffer along with a nation, or we got to suffer along with the wicked in order for God and to be able to do the things that He wants to do, in order for Him to revive a people. When we see that happen, and we trust the Lord, then God can do great things through us. God can use us in times such as these. And so that's where He heads in the last verse, in verse number nineteen. He says, "The Lord God is my strength." And I love this picture right here. He will, David used this picture in the Psalms too. He will make my feet like deer's feet. And he will make me walk on high hills. And then he ends the book right to the chief musician. Write it down and play it with my stringed instruments. Hannah Bernard wrote a really good little book. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's called Hind's Feet on High Places. And it's taken from this passage. And it's really just a way of expressing in more detail what Habakkuk says right here. That the Lord God is our strength. And no matter how difficult the times get, no matter how hard the times get, that God still can do great things through us if we'll just trust him, if we'll just live by faith, and that we can be like deer who uh, can climb high hills, not high hills like women were, but high hills, High mountains go right up the face of a mountaintop with, and it's no problem for them at all. I have shared this with you before in other messages, but I, I have a picture hanging there next to my desk in my office of this ram standing on a ledge overlooking the Grand Canyon, the Colorado River below, the puffy clouds there, and there's this big ram standing there. And... The way I got that picture, I was uh, 
we were, Brenda and I, with the kids were hiking down into the Grand Canyon, and I stopped to take a break, and they went on further down to get some water down, down a ways down into the canyon, and, and I just stopped there, and I was sitting there just kind of just observing the scene, and I looked down the trail, and here comes this ram running right at me, and he came running at me. I'm like, dude, don't hit me. I mean, don't, don't get me. And I mean, he ran at me, and then, whoom, he flew out like he was going, like he was committing suicide or something. And he landed on the ledge right in front of me. And I got my camera out real quick and got a picture of him. And then the next thing I know, this ram is running down. I mean, I'm talking about, it, looks to, it looked to me like the face of the canyon, which if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, it looks to me like a cliff. Didn't look like anybody could climb on that thing or any animal could climb that thing other than maybe a worm or something. But here he was just marching himself right down that, I don't know how he didn't just tumble over and fall, but, but here was this ram on, with hinds feet on high places. And that's a picture of, he's a picture of what God wants to do with us in difficult times. He wants us to be able to climb mountaintops. He wants us to be able to go through the valleys. He wants us to be able to jump over any obstacle that comes our way. He wants to use us uh, for his glory. And, and uh, there's only one way that that can happen. And that is if we do what Habakkuk told us earlier, uh, that great line that uh, I believe should be the motto for every Christian, and that is the just shall live by faith not by sight. Now, I, that, I, I can talk the talk, but a lot of times I don't walk the walk. I mean, there's a lot of times I don't, I, I want to live by sight. I want to see things. I don't want to wait on things. I don't want to live by faith. When trouble comes my way, I'm like, Lord, why are you doing this? But God can't really use us until we do come to a point where we truly trust him. We truly trust him. We don't rely on ourselves. We rely on him and his strength. And when we do that, that's when we find joy and we find peace. And when we have joy and peace, then God can accomplish really good things through us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for this little book and the encouragement that's here, Lord, and, and just the, the lessons that uh, hopefully by your spirit and your power we can apply to our lives. Lord, we... We want to count in these last days. We know we're living in the last days, Lord, and things aren't going to get better. They're only going to get worse. Lord, but you know how to take care of your own. And, Lord, you have plans for us. You want to use us to help reach some of the lost people, Lord, that, that uh, will turn to you when these judgments start taking place. And, Lord, you want us there to be able to show them the way. And so, Lord, I just ask you, uh, while things are pretty calm in our lives, Lord, that that uh, we learn to live by faith. Lord, we just ask that you bring those things in our life that, that are for our good. And, Lord, if uh, we need revival, then, Lord, help us help do the things it takes to revive us. Lord, we want to see revival in our country. We want to see revival in this world. And we know it all comes through your anointed, Lord, through Jesus Christ. And we just pray for, for good things to happen in the days to come here in Calvary Chapel, Lord. Uh, in our own lives and, and the life of the city, Lord, and in this nation. We just pray for great things, Lord. We, we know you can work good through, through tragedy and difficulty. So we ask for you to do that. Uh, we ask that in Christ's name. Amen.